Hi, you're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network, produced at 3CR Community Radio on Wurundjeri Country. And I'm Nikki Stott. Earlier this year, to celebrate NAIDOC Week, the Indigenous Peoples Organisation Australia, in collaboration with Better Futures Australia, hosted a webinar series called Heal Country, Heal Climate. Today on the show, we'll hear part one of a three-part episode called Pursuing Global Justice. This episode is chaired by Gairi and Bachelor Woman Kathy Etok from the Indigenous Peoples Organisation of Australia. And the speakers are Rajri and Yamba Woman, Dr Virginia Marshall, Kabi Kabi and Goreng Goreng Man, Pastor Ray Minicon and Wati Man Kato Muir. I'm Kathy Etok. I'm a Gairi and Bachelor Woman and co-chair of the Indigenous Peoples Organisation. And I'm speaking to you tonight from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Before we move on, I'd like to first acknowledge that each of us in our differing locations are on the unceded sovereign lands of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Those nations who lived harmoniously and sustainably with the lands, waterways and other sentient beings for more than 60,000 years. Today's session, Pursuing Global Justice, will pull together the issues highlighted by the communities in the Northern Territory who've demanded a parliamentary inquiry on fracking, and the Kimberley Land Council, which is holding a protest at Parliament House in Western Australia to demand strong cultural heritage legislation following the destruction of Jukin Gorge Caves and many other sacred sites. The Heal Country, Heal Climate webinar series has been held to raise the voices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. Given the power disparity with corporations, extractive industries and government bodies that rarely give voice to Aboriginal communities. Climate change threatens everyone with Indigenous peoples globally more vulnerable to the extremes of heat, shortages of water and to rising sea levels. So we can't address climate change without addressing that underlying inequity. A further avenue to address this power disparity is to take strategic legal action. While the judicial system has historically been used to condone Aboriginal dispossession, and the interest of elites and mining magnates at the expense of Aboriginal people, developments in international law and the framework of human rights are now being drawn on to assert Aboriginal and Indigenous rights. International law and the global recognition of rights frameworks provides additional leverage to help hold governments and corporations to account. Litigation can be used to highlight the responsibility governments have to protect people and for corporations to meet evolving global standards. While we've had decades of corporate impunity, the increase in successful cases against nation states, with 40 cases taken between 2015 and 2020, has emphasised the legal obligations of states to prevent harm and make redress. 
Our first speaker tonight is Dr. Virginia Marshall, a Wiradjuri and Nyamba woman and postdoctoral fellow at the ANU and is also a principal solicitor working around land and water rights and native title. Oh, everyone, and it's, it's really wonderful to be here tonight and so many opportunities to really have people listen with us and, and also a call of action, you know, that we have to really stand together. I mean, we've had protests march with Black Lives Matter um, many times over the world, uh, last year especially in Australia. There was just so much passion um, that, you know, you, you could just be really revived that human rights was going to go back onto the agenda again. And we know that a lot of people are quietly working behind the scenes and it shouldn't, it shouldn't really be forgotten, Cathy, um, that most of these issues that we talk about with the environment really connect to our people and connect to our health and our well-being. So incarceration, for example, is a huge rising issue where 50% of uh, Aboriginal men are incarcerated and only represent 5%, for example. There are other issues that we see in Dondale up in the Northern Territory and some you know, very powerful and, and culturally rich people in community sense uh, are trying to be there for these young people that are held in Dondale. You know, those sort of issues shouldn't happen. We've had so many reports, and, and you know of these too, Cathy, um, bringing them home report and the stolen generations and also the deaths in custody, all of these issues are, are not separate to what we're talking about today. It's really important that human rights and the rights that we fight for are really included in all of this. So, you know, a lot of issues that we talk about now, uh, especially in regards to the environment, we talk about nature-based solutions, for example, and, and their solutions that really um, uh, will inspire people to listen to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's knowledge that we have these understandings of the environmental indicators and we also know exactly when those seasons change and, and that also the impact of climate change is quite severe. So that's going to be one particular area where Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and other Indigenous peoples all over the world are going to be looking forward to some change, uh, some change of heart. And we can see the, the stirrings now, but we need to really bring people's attention that um, the wilderness concept of, of separating human beings and, and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people from country and making it sterile without human beings is not a natural state for this country. The most important thing is that we're there, like with national parks, for example, um, we need to be uh, caring for the land, caring for the water. We need that connection because of our identity, that connection to all things. Um, you know, those are just some of the issues that it really comes down to, Cathy. Mm. Thanks, Virginia. Unfortunately, Yessi Mosby of the Torres Strait 8 couldn't be with us tonight. However, it's important to probably just briefly outline the case given its significance. So the case of the Torres Strait 8 commenced in May 2019 by eight members of the Torres Strait whose traditional lands across four islands that are threatened by the impact of climate change. It's a world first in that the Torres Strait 8 
have lodged an official human rights complaint against the Australian government under the operational protocol to the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights with the Human Rights Committee. They argue the Australian government has failed to protect the life, family and homes, the rights of the child and the rights of minorities to enjoy and practice their culture. They argue that the government's inaction on climate change threatens their well-being. Current estimates suggest the islands will be uninhabitable by 2050. They argue that the Torres Strait is already being impacted by king tides, erosion, salt contamination, destroying crops and polluting drinking water, threats to homes from rising sea levels and the extinction of animals and plant species and the bleaching of corals impacting a key food source. They all detrimentally impact on the rights of, of the, their culture and their ability to live on their island homes. They argue that Australia is at the bottom of, of advanced nations when it comes to climate action with the world's highest per capita emissions and has a history of obstruction and inaction. The Torres Strait 8 argue that by failing to take adequate action to reduce emissions or build proper adaptation measures, Australia is failing in its legal obligation to protect the human rights of the Torres Strait Islanders. These are the rights to culture, the right to a family and the right to life under the first global United Nations Treaty, the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. The claimants have five demands of the Australian government, which will add to the priorities we are developing. So one is that they fund adaptation programs that allow the Torres Strait Islander communities to adapt to the impact of climate change. Two, commit to going 100% renewable in Australia in the next 10 years. Three, that they support the Torres Strait Islander communities to build community-owned renewable energy. Four, that they transition away from fossil fuels as rapidly as possible and implement a just transition for workers. And five, that they push the world to increase global ambitions and keep warming less than 1.5 degrees. So that's their demands um, they're putting on the Australian government to take real action to address climate change. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. So we'll move on now to our next speaker is Pastor Ray Minikin. Ray is from the Gubbi Gubbi and Gurangarang nations of southeast Queensland and is also a descendant of the South Sea Islander people with connection to the Ambrun Islands. Ray is a reverend and community chaplain in Redfern and Glebe communities, among many other well-earned titles. Thanks, Pastor Ray. Thanks, Kathy. Look, uh, if you were to ask the question, you know, what is the most significant, important issue that's facing all of humanity, all of creation, everything, and it'd be this one thing that's been identified way back in the 
late 1970s. And it's this problem that we're seeing that the earth is heating up. And the science suggests that if we go from where we are now, we're heading towards where the earth will be around about, uh, would, would heat up another 2% or 2 degrees. If it does that, then we've created our own hell because it's unsustainable to live if we don't do, do something to, to bring that temperature back down to some, uh, some normal levels. So we've now reached a global warming acceleration level where only a worldwide government-driven and enforced mass mobilization can save us from total extinction if we don't bring this temperature down. And so uh, if we keep on going the way we are, some scientists suggest that we're only five years away, maybe even 10 years away from our last realistic chance to reduce global warming and uh, reduce global fossil fuel and change our attitudes and our behaviours and our actions from one of where we're heading to, to one where we can talk about giving our uh, children a much more reliable future. And so this is what we're talking about here. And in order to do that, the UN, the United Nations, which Australia is a signatory to, has signed up in 2015 to what's called the Sustainable Development Goals. Those particular goals, there's 17 of those goals. There's the one was to in, end poverty in all of its forms and everywhere. Australia does pretty well at that. To end hunger and achieve food security and improve nutrition and promote sustainable agriculture. To ensure healthy lives and promote well-being for all at all ages. Ensure inclusivity and equitable education. To achieve gender equality and empower all women and girls to ensure availability and sustainable management of water and sanitation for all, a problem for us, ensure access to affordable, reliable, sustainable and modern energy for all, which, which means moving to a much more renewable energy economy, promote sustained, inclusive and sustainable economic growth, which also includes employment, to build resilient infrastructure, to reduce inequality within and among countries, make cities and human settlements more inclusive and safe and resilient and sustainable, ensure sustainable consumption and production patterns. But this number 13 is really where, what we're talking about tonight, is take urgent action to combat climate change and its impacts. The other goals are to conserve and sustainably use the oceans, seas, marine sources for sustainable development, and that's one of the things that uh, our Torres Strait Islander communities and other uh, Pacific Islanders are really, really concerned about right now. It's also to protect, restore and promote sustainable use of terrestrial ecosystems and our forests, you know, combat desertification, halt all this land de degradation and, and those other habitats where our animals live in. We're also looking at uh, the other 16th goal is to promote peaceful and inclusive societies and finally to strengthen the, the means of implementation and realisation 
and revitalize the global partnerships. So they're huge, big challenges and huge, big issues. There is 17 of those particular sustainable development goals and targets and indicators that uh, we are looking at. What we're looking at tonight really is that number 13, sustainable uh, looking after our, our climate. And, you know, Indigenous people's rights and interests are not represented in, in, our, in, in this in terms of our National Water Initiative, our land management strategies, all the droughts and the fires that we've had, all the groundwater that's been extracted out of our rivers for commercial reasons, and the serious health impacts uh, from all of these kinds of things that really impact very much on all of us as, uh, as Indigenous peoples. So these are the goals. This is what we're on about here, not just here at, uh, in terms of the Indigenous Peoples Organisation, but also Better Futures Australia. We're trying to get the government just to wake up to itself and take us, not just take us more seriously, but take all, the whole of uh, the Australian community more seriously in terms of the ways in which we want to make sure that we leave behind us a much more sustainable country that we all love and live in and want to pass on to our next generation. And at the rate we're going right now, Australia is, on, is right down at the bottom, bottom of this. And so we've got to work out how we can challenge our government to change its attitudes and its behaviours, give us the policies that are necessary to actually give us some kind of hope that we're going to reduce the ways in which our planet is heating up and give this, give our country and our mother uh, an opportunity to breathe uh, and give our, our children a, a much more greater opportunity to see some hope for us. Thank you, Ray. Um, our next speaker is Cato Muir. Cato is an Indigenous rights activist and advocate, leader of the Nalia tribe. I hope I've pronounced that all right. You can correct me, Cato. Um, and chair of the Native Title Council. Cato has researched and published on Aboriginal heritage and Native Title and is a fierce advocate for the rights of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander mob particularly in land rights and cultural heritage. Thank you, Cato. Thank you, Cathy. Uh, thank you, Uncle Ray. Um, acknowledging the different countries that we all find ourselves coming from today. I'm over in uh, my hometown of Leonora, which is uh, north of Kalgoorlie. And uh, Wangata people, uh, the, uh, the names for the various or the Wangala Nation, I suppose. It's the various names for the uh, various language groups that come from our country. And my country's on the edge between the, uh, the desert and the gold fields. So, yeah, I, I suppose just uh, building on the sustainable de development goals and the reason and the need to have such goals, go back about 500 years or thereabouts, and you have uh, Christopher Columbus responding to his mate Vasco da Gama, who um, had found a way to India, 
Columbus uh, looking for a way to India also to extract trade. And in those dynamics is basically the arrival of Europe into the world stage as uh, apart from being a septic backwater, Europe uh, coming onto the world stage and possibly dominating that now for a good part of 500 years. The whole reason why we are looking at um, these sustainable development goals for uh, non-European countries is based on the process of uh, forced extraction of wealth and resources from literally everywhere in the world uh, back to Europe. So Europeans today enjoy a level and standard of life that uh, exceeds everyone else uh, in the planet. And through their settler societies or colonies in Australia, New Zealand, uh, North America, uh, continue to maintain a system of extraction and exploitation with particularly Indigenous peoples at the blunt end or the receiving end of that uh, instrument. So colonisation and imperialism is basically a process of transferring wealth from one part of the world to another. And in so doing, then building the uh, infrastructure to support that. So that extraction then leads to the impoverishment of the um, resident communities, uh, predominantly these days, the Indigenous peoples are uh, at the sharp end of that stick, but uh, many other nations who are in former colonies uh, have suffered from that uh, same process. There was a textbook written that some people may have heard of. It's called Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. Now, this book is basically a textbook on how to set up and build a capitalist society uh, that's driven around the extraction and exploitation, extraction of resources and exploitation of lands and peoples at in an unsustainable uh, manner. And, you know, the horror stories that uh, proceed at the point of the barrel, at the gun, across the Americas, in Australia, parts of Africa and Asia, is essentially the inheritance that we're all living with today. It also is the world order that we find ourselves uh, living with, and particularly in a society like Australia, where we are the inheritors on one hand and the beneficiaries on the other of uh, this imperialistic um, code of conduct, we're still experiencing that today. All the infrastructure built to sustain the Australian nation and the Western way of life is built to support the continued extraction and exploitation of land, people and resources. So when we're looking at the international community, that transfer of wealth, which is now reflected in capital, has been concentrated into Europe and North America. In recent times, there's a little bit of repatriation of that going on back into Asia through Singapore, 
Hong Kong, and a bit in China. But so if you talk about Jugan, the destruction of the caves at Jugan, the ongoing um, effects of uh, industrialized economy on climate, all of those things is basically a reflection of this feeding frenzy that has developed and evolved from the age of imperialism. Now, there's two sides to this coin. The one side is to say that engaging in economic activities, engaging in uh, use and management of resources is simply a um, response to life, to survive. Uh, I would hazard a guess tonight being a new moon night. In about 29 days, if you were to go outside at night, you'll find a spider has cast its web at a convenient location to take advantage of the rising of the full moon with the insects flying up and getting trapped in the webs. So engaging in economic activities and uh, productive pursuits is not a bad thing. It's a great thing. It's part of our survival. The problem is engaging in one that is uh, exploitative, is unsustainably extractive and morally uh, repugnant. Now, that's the uh, inheritance, I suppose, that uh, Rio Tinto currently carries in relation to its uh, decision to destroy a 46,000-year-old Aboriginal site in the Pilbara, which I would say is an ongoing everyday activity and that's the brunt that we as Indigenous peoples, as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples in Australia, we bear the brunt and the blunt end of this uh, process of uh, extraction and exploitation in the interests of unsustainable growth. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. And today on the show we heard part one of a three-part episode called Pursuing Global Justice, and it's from the NADOC 2021 series, Heal Country, Heal Climate. This webinar series is hosted by the Indigenous Peoples Organisation Australia at indigenouspeoplesorg.com.au and Better Futures Australia at betterfutures.org.au. And if you missed part of today's show, you can find the podcast and all the details of the speakers at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. And if you're already listening via a podcasting service, we would love you to subscribe. And why not rate us and give us a review to help spread the word? Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support and the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this show out to you. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Nam, and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. And you can also find us on your socials. That's all for this week, but don't forget, tune in next week for more environmental and social justice stories. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Billabong Beats, Tuesdays at 11am with me, Gavin Moore, giving a voice to both Western Kulin and Kulin First Nations peoples. Join me to talk about philosophy and dreamtime stories surrounding the waterhole, the sacred fire, the land, the plants and animals. Billabong Beats, 11am Tuesdays on 3CR. There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new T-shirt, or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855AM. Keep in touch, 3cr.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.